Welcome to another episode of the Finance and Property Survival Guide. My name is Damien. I'm a 24-year-old from Newcastle, Australia. When I finished high school, I felt like a lot of my education left out the most important things that I needed going forward. Stuff like getting a mortgage, budgeting for big purchases and investing were never talked about or explained in any great detail. I want the Survival Guide to serve as the middleman for anyone looking to learn about finance and property. Each week I'll endeavour to speak to and learn from some of those in the industry to help break down the details of the finance and property sector. Today on the show, it's another of our regular episodes with David from Money Saver Home Loans. He is my dad and uh, my co-worker at Money Saver Home Loans. Uh, today on the show, we talked about some of the news breaking this week in news and pro- uh, finance and property. That included the regional property boom and how many people expect for that to continue through 2021, the three types of debt that everyone should get to know and understand, as well as the major banks urging distressed loan customers to sell their properties if they're still in financial distress. Uh, I hope you enjoy the episode. I found it really informative and I hope you do too. So without further ado, here we go. So first thing we're going to talk through for the week, um, talking about um, some of the statistics coming out through the news this week about building approvals with units compared to uh, townhouses. Mm-hmm. So reports from Archer Star for over the year ending January 2021, townhouse building approvals um, had a 0.7 rise over that year, while unit approvals for building were down 10% over the same period with the annual trend continuing to decline. So I guess another part of this is the residential development sector. So the market share of higher density approvals, so big te- big uh, unit blocks, um, accounted for a decade low of 27.4% of all building approvals. So sort of, I guess I wanted to get your opinion on, is this what you expected to see coming out of COVID? Because during the year when we would break down the news, it looked like investors were pulling out of units and apartments and people were moving out of the cities yeah. who were living in those apartments. Yeah. So I guess yeah. it so matches it. One interesting thing is approvals for January um, might be the result of activity that happened six months ago. Yeah. Because, you know, the builders, developers will put together plans, you know, get architects to work on them, get them costed, get them financed get them approved and sometimes it can take three months to get things approved so but i suppose the thing coming out of this is that less people like there's like simon presley talks about how there's an oversupply of units yeah so what i think is happening is that less people want to live in units because they're worried about lockdowns and that sort of thing people want more space um they want cleaner air they want um backyards and um spare bedrooms and rooms where they can work from home and that sort of thing. So we're seeing that. Um, and because there's, you know, the current stock of units, you know, in the past might have, it might have taken six months to sell a stock of units. Now it's taking longer, so less people are going to be building them because it's going to take longer mm. to do it. But there was some stuff I listened to from some guys on Smart Property Investor who were talking about affordability and about... The, the differential between housing prices and apartments and units is widening um, and they're saying that they think some people who will keep missing out on houses might end up just buying an apartment and get into the market especially investors so yeah investing in apartments for some people 
some people like it because they get good tax depreciation benefits um, and that you know it's you can usually get positive gearing but the issue is then do you get capital growth and generally you don't yeah, so, okay. so I think that these stats aren't that surprising I think more people I think what we'll find this year if you know people will still want to buy houses but I think more people will probably be happy to happy to buy a townhouse because mm. with a townhouse you usually get a little courtyard a little bit more space um, if the person you know if you're on the 10th 10th floor of an apartment building and someone in your apartment building gets the virus you can be locked down for two weeks whereas you know if you're next door to someone who gets it you might be locked in but at least you have a little courtyard you can hang out in and you can cook a barbie and have a beer it sort of sounds like a unit if, if there's differences in housing and, and how people live a unit sorry a townhouse is like the a happy medium yeah. between a unit and an actual yeah. home and from affordability point of view there's less land so it's less expensive yeah um so yeah there's plenty of people saying that you know if you can't get a house get a townhouse and and townhouses you might see like there's examples of it around where we are now that maybe someone had a big block of land or a fairly sized block of land that they've subdivided so there's three townhouses there's three going back houses yeah yeah okay yeah. Yep. Interesting. Um, so we're going to talk about some stat, uh, some statistics that came out about profitability in the mm-hmm. capital city. So, first, I didn't know what profitability profitability even meant until yep. I saw this news. So I wanted to just, if anyone else listening doesn't really understand what it means, it's the ability of a of a company or in this case pro- property to generate revenue in excess of its expenses. Yeah, yeah. So if I have a house that I'm renting out to a tenant. After all the expenses for that month, if I make a hundred dollars and have that left over, that's profitability. Yeah. Look yeah. in in the terms of the stats that are coming through, the profit refers to, um, say you buy a pro- property for three hundred thousand and yeah. you sell it later for six hundred, you've made a profit. Okay. Yeah. Um, there are at any one time people. Um, yeah, they're talking about the profit making resales in December was eighty nine point nine percent. So ten point one percent of people sold property at loss. Okay. Nine eighty nine point nine percent at right. the moment. Um, most people, I imagine, when we look at the stats for the March quarter, I imagine that stat will be in the ninety percent because at the moment, um, selling property at a profit is like selling a fish on Good Friday. It's easy. Yeah. It's, um, so, yeah, you know, prices are going up nearly everywhere. So at the moment, um, yeah, it's pretty hard not to make profit. And, and it's interesting too, five of the nine regions uh, measured saw a rate of profit-making sales about 95% through the December quarter. So these included Geelong, the mid-north coast of New South Wales, Newcastle and Lake Macquarie as a region, and the Richmond Tweed region, all of those were in the mid to high ninety yeah, percent range. Yeah, Sunshine Coast. Yeah, yeah, and they they've all been really really strong. Like Richmond Tweed, um, is basically between Coffs Harbour and Byron Bay, so you know, plenty of people love living moving to Coffs Harbour, and plenty of people want to live in Byron Bay, but it's sort of a um, reasonably priced area in the middle. Yeah, um, something else we're going to cover today, so. Um, some statistics coming out of an annual survey from PIPA, which is uh, PIPA stands for the Property Investment Professionals of Australia, yep. um, speaking that 
they found 60% of respondents consider rent vesting as a property investment strategy. The same survey found 44% of first-time investors were rent vesters, which was a 34% increase the year prior. So um, the news coming through with that was speaking about how many more people are looking at rent vesting as, a, as an option yeah. when investing in property. Yeah, so when, when I was your age, um, all anyone did was uh, you bought a house and you paid it off. Um, as we know, people like the guys from Open Corp, Cam McClellan, um, when he was my age, they just went and bought property after property after property after property. And then 10, 20 years later, they had 10 properties or 20 properties in their portfolio and they sold five of them and bought a house. So now they own their house outright and they've got all these other properties. So for people who um, want to get into the market but can't afford to buy where they live, rent they, a lot of people are renting there and buying elsewhere, so rent vesting. Um, I think it's going to, as property prices go up, it'll become more and more popular. Yeah. We've got quite a few clients who do it. Um, we've got some people in Defence Forces who travel around a lot. Yeah, they might be stationed in Sydney one year and Townsville the next, and then they might be overseas for a year or two. So they don't, they want to get into the investing, but they don't want to buy a house because they're never going to live in it. Um, and plus, when they finish in the Defence Force, they don't actually know where they're going to live. You know, they could end up in Perth or they could end up in Bali or England, who knows. So the best thing for them to do is to just buy an investment property. So, yeah, it's very popular. I think it'll become even more popular as more people understand the benefits of it. And and like you said earlier too, like one of the benefits that I was learning about from rent vesting point of view is you might not be able to afford where you want to live. Mm. And the lifestyle you have living where you want to live is unobtainable to buy a house there. Yeah. So you rent there because it's cheaper for the short term and you purchase properties to have as investments in the meantime. Somewhere so you else. can still live somewhere that you want to live mm. while making some sort of uh, investment for the future down yeah. the line. Yeah, and getting the capital growth that comes with that. You've got a tenant helping to pay your mortgage. Mm -hmm. um, you know, with the sort of interest rates we're getting at the moment of um, you know, in the 2%, even for investors, if your rent is 5%, you're making 3% less costs, of course. But if your costs are 0.5%, you're making a good a good return, mm. and yeah, you can use that extra cash to pay the loan down quicker, yeah. build equity, and um, buy more places. Okay, fourth thing we're going to cover, which is a bit of a downer, um, for we we sort of knew it was going to come eventually, but um, Commonwealth Bank are urging distressed investors to sell in the current market they're seeing. Um, this suggestion comes as Westpac has prepared to end its COVID nineteen support package for customers, and. Commonwealth Bank of both they both Commonwealth Bank and Westpac have come out and said we're going to do our best to help any customers that are still in financial um, distress. Mm -hmm. I guess the word could be, but they're urging that for a lot of people, their best case scenario is to sell the property that yeah. they're losing money on or that they can't make yeah. payments yeah. off. So th this one was sort of they're talking about investors, but I think it equally applies to people yeah. who live in their house. Um, at the moment, the market is firing in nearly every place and if you can't afford to keep your property your best bet is probably to put it on the market because you'll get a very good price um, one of the interesting things that come out of the stats was that only um, 
85%, this is for CBA anyway, of customers who are on deferrals have already started making the payments and only 1.6% of clients of their customers who are on deferred loans are still doing so. So there's plenty of options. Um, you know, banks will probably let you stay on interest only. If you've got good equity in a property, they might even let you um, you know, maybe have another couple of months of non-repayment. But if you, you know, eventually you know, start paying your loan back. So, yeah, it is hard, but mm. if, a, if a year since we started the pandemic, if you're still not working um, or you're still impacted, um, it's probably time to change your strategy. Yeah. Um, we're going to talk about sort of this idea that I've sort of come across, at least with some of my friends, older and younger, that talk about thinking there's only one type of debt. Mm-hmm. So this is more, this isn't news as much as it is maybe just maybe breaking down some definitions that you can help with, talking about the three types of debt being, yeah. so good debt maybe is the tax deductible debt against income producing and appreciating assets, that's stuff like residential investment if you buy a home. You're in debt to the bank, but you're not necessarily having to pay the bank any money yourself because a tenant's paying yeah. that rent for you, yeah. which is covering the repayment. And if you're in a good, uh, if you've picked the right property, you might have a little bit of money left over after mm-hmm. that too. Um, necessary debt, which might be non-tax deductible debt against your home or something essential that can't be avoided, and then bad debt, which is things that depreciate in value and. You talk about this a lot with um, buy the cheapest car your ego can afford. I think you get that from Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that I I think about too is when I I, sometimes I really would love to buy a nicer car. Mm -hmm. But I also understand that right now I don't really need to do that. It's Mm -hmm. not something that's super necessary for me. And that, that asset is not going to earn me any money. It's yeah. going to lose value straight away as soon as I drive it out of the, the, the car place. Yeah. So. so that thing with yeah, good debt is debt that is helping you um, generate future income or mm-hmm. future uh, capital growth from assets um, you know, over time. Bad debt, you know, if you're spending money on um, yeah, fancy cars, scooters, Carav- not caravans because they're a bit of a lifestyle thing I suppose but jet skis all those toys those sorts of things you know they don't actually help your wealth position mm. so and the other thing is even though investment debt is generally good like you know you can, you can borrow money to buy shares um, if you buy the wrong asset um, so you're buying in you know there's, there's people during GFC that bought lots of investment properties in mining towns and paid quite big money for them and they're still down the hole for a couple million dollars. So it's not about necessarily, you know, not every not every good debt is good debt, but every bad debt is bad debt. So mm. just be careful with, you know, where, where you spend your money. We see it all the time with people with their buying capacity. You know, they might, without the bad debt, they could probably borrow $200,000 more or they mightn't be able to get out of a loan they're in because they've got so many um, existing commitments that aren't helping them out. Mm. Um, second last thing we're going to talk about before we end the show. So the bank of mum and dad is something we harp on about quite a bit, mm-hmm. but it's something worth repeating, especially with some of the reports coming out this week. So um, from Digital Finance Analytics, um, a report from them this week said that the bank of mum and dad has about $34 billion in loans 
um, bigger than some of the smaller lenders. So funding from parents averaged by more than $89,000, which is an increase of 20% over the past year. Yeah. So helping their kids with getting a deposit or oh. putting them on the name as a parental guarantee. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, cool. So at, yeah, at the moment, the biggest issue with buying property is getting your deposit together. Yeah. That's the thing. Like if you're, if you're renting and saving you might save for five years to get your deposit, but in that time you've lost five years of potential growth. Yeah. Um, which at the moment, you know, could be costing you lots of money mm -hmm. every month. Right. But, you know, who knows what's going to happen in the future. So if you can get help from your parents, like when we bought our first house, we got help from our parents. They lent us some money to help with the deposit. Um, and, yeah, if you can get either help with the deposit and or use their property to help cover the sort of deposit mm. um, that the bank wants, not mm. from a cash point of view, but from a point of view of security. Mm. Um, that's a good, I, I still think it's a good way of doing things. If you're a parent, you've got to think about it. You've got to get legal advice. Um, yeah, if you don't trust your kids, um, don't do it. If you don't like your partner's, if you don't like your kid's partner choice, don't do it. Um, yeah, the last thing you want to be do want to be is be you know dragged into like a failed relationship. So yeah, get 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 advice. It's worth considering. Like yeah, it's worth a lot of consideration yeah, before worth, you sign up. Yeah, to it's it. worth having to think about. Fair. We we meet with the guarantors separately and talk to them about the risks because you know, if you if your um your kids and their partner are buying a property for say five hundred grand. The deposit, you know, your your you could be liable for up to about one hundred twenty five grand. So if it goes pear shaped, and the bank has to sell the property, and the bank is down money, they'll come looking for you to make up the difference up to that amount. So it's um, not without risk, not without its risks, but I think from the point of view of growing your family's wealth, mm. um, it's it's not a bad thing to think about. Okay, um, talking about. I think, is it Terry Ryder that says the exodus to yeah. regional areas? So mm -hmm. sort of talking about that again this week, um, the regional Australia boom is sort of set to continue, but some people uh, within the industry are urging that it sort of makes sense too that the country towns and the authorities within those country towns make sure that they're prepared and maybe have some urban planning and council planning involved because there's already a lack of supply of housing in a lot of these places yeah. where there aren't enough rentals to um, satisfy the demand. There's not enough chips, heaps yes. of seagulls. Yes. Yeah? So um, the movement, that this tree changer movement that was sort of spurred on, or at least maybe not spurred on and begun by COVID, but was definitely accelerated by COVID, has seen over 60,000 Australians relocate from capital cities into country areas. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the problem that country towns have had in the past is that you haven't had a critical mass. There was a mass exodus, a mass exodus usually of country town living people who are younger going to the city because they want to experience that life. Yeah, yeah. Um, but nowadays it's a little more reverse where people are moving to the country towns and those towns aren't satisfying the demand they're not putting anything in place to have more housing there to satisfy it i guess it's just an interesting thought that some country towns that at least that we're aware of or that i've been in there's not enough housing yeah 
so people want to move there but there's no opportunity to and whether the councils need to just be a bit more mindful of that into the yeah. next year yeah, look at, at the moment there's no real um, overarching strategy for property in Australia no. and you know if a couple of thousand people moved to Dubbo or Launceston or Mount Gambier or Mackay or somewhere like that it's just you know as long as there's places for them to buy they can move there and um, you know we know we talked about I think it was before just after Christmas, we talked about down the surf coast of um, Melbourne, down like Lawn, mm. Torquay, those sorts of places where there was no rentals. And there was people that had been long-term renters who were being kicked out of their houses because, um, well, not really kicked out, the rent was going up so much they couldn't afford it. So they were going to have to move in with family, friends, couch searching, all that sort of stuff. So it's one of those things. I, I think property property is a bit like... Um, the roads at the moment people say we've got a lot of congestion we've got a lot of congestion because everyone uses the road at the same time if you could um, stretch out the use of the roads so not everyone's on them at the same time you'd, you'd have less congestion um, one of the things with property is when it becomes a bit like a herd mm. when a lot of people are buying property at the moment because they're worried about missing out on property Whereas I think for some people they'd be better off just waiting mm. because the current boom can't can't continue. No. I don't think. I know there's plenty of people that say it will continue. Um, Rich Harvey, who's one of the buyer, one of the buyers agents who we use, has talked about the next boom's going to come from um, expats and overseas buyers mm. who want to buy property here, and he could be right. You know, once. Once everyone's vaccinated around the world and can start travelling again, yeah, there's probably going to be a lot of people who want to move here because they're worried about pandemics and you know they don't want to be like I think the stat was last month or last can't remember exactly well it might have been just in the day there was like thousands of people in Brazil dying of COVID still mm. France is in its third lockdown UK is still locked down like we're relatively comfortable here and there'll be a lot of people that want to move here. So, mm. um, one of the things I wanted to mention um, is about fixed rates. So we've talked about how there's variable rates of interest, so they can go up or down, um, and there's fixed rates. So just so you're buying a property and you're buying 400 grand or 500 grand, you can have a variable rate which can go up and down, or you can have a fixed rate for one to about five years. Mm. and once the loan settles at that fixed rate, that rate is fixed, it can't move. Um, there's a bit of talk about how people are thinking that fixed rates might move up in the next couple of months. So if people are looking to get a loan, you might want to think of uh, fixing um, because you may not get a cheaper fixed rate than you can now. So it's just something we're seeing. One of the major banks increased their four year fixed rate two weeks ago but it was pretty cheap to start with, so it's more back to, it's a little bit more expensive than the other ones. But when you're buying a property, um, have a, don't just think about the property, think about your loan as well, because you know if you, if you can save 0.2 of a percent on a half a million dollar loan, it's a thousand bucks a year, yeah. which is not bad. Mm. 80 bucks a week, uh, sorry, 80 bucks a month, which is quite a bit of money. You know, it's two, two, uh, one and a half tanks of petrol, free. So um, just, yeah, it's the sort of thing people need to think about. Easy. So. 
um, if people want to get in contact you, yeah, as always. Yeah, the home loans, and just a reminder, this is the number nine top property podcast, finance property podcast in Australia. Hell yeah. So if you can share it around, that would be good, because um, the more people we get to, the better. And um, yeah, if you need any help with anything, let us know. We're helping a few new clients get better deals with their existing bank at the moment, um, because they're happy there, and it's... There's no real reason to change, so we're happy to help people with that. And, um, yeah, if you want to, um, there's still, um, banks got great refinance cashback, so if you're not feeling the love from your existing bank, give us a shout, and we'll help you back them up. 